0: You can make your way to Luke 23. It's page 884 if you're using one of the Bibles there in the seats. I mentioned in a few minutes ago that tonight is a, is a night or a day to remember. And what I'd like to do is like us to kind of think through some of these things that, on how we can remember, maybe what we should remember. Anniversaries are a good time for pausing and reflecting. And thinking, not all anniversaries have great memories to them, but they are all memories that have impacted our lives one way or another, and here as we celebrate, as we think about, actually we remember 2,000 or so years ago when Jesus was on the cross, it's something that we need to pause, we need to think about. The text that I'm going to really look at this morning we or this evening is in Luke 23. I'm going to finish the chapter we've already had two different people read most of the chapter to us, but I'm going to finish in verse 39 and go through 43 and then we'll talk about that for a minute. Verse 39 says one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, "Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us." But The other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, I don't know what, how many people heard the conversations that Jesus was having with these two thieves on the cross. I don't know how many people could overhear that or not. I would assume that some people did. I would assume that people were instructed by what happened here. I told you that today is a day to remember, and there's a few things I think we need to remember. The first one is this, is that we really should, as this thief points out, we should remember our guilt on this day. This is dangerous because we live in a society right now where it is frowned upon to think negatively of ourselves in any way at all. In fact, and probably many of us actually already probably feel guilty and many of us already feel down and feel discouraged at times and we feel like a failure. I know that I struggle with those feelings and I know that other people in our church do as well. So am I promoting something unhealthy by saying that we actually need to remember our guilt right now? Do people really need to be reminded of guilt? I think the answer is yes, because I don't think we have a full scope of what that means. When I say guilt, I mean, I don't mean that we need to remember that we're imperfect because everyone knows that already and, and, and we, we understand that, but I don't think we understand the magnitude of that. I don't think everyone understands the impact that it means when we say that we have guilt before God. You see, if we compare this account with the other Gospels, we find out that both thieves actually started out by mocking Jesus. If we read just Luke's account, it seems that one only mocked and and, uh, the other one began to rebuke the other one. And that is true, but what happened first, if you read the other accounts, you see that both of them began on the cross by mocking Jesus. So that means something happened. That means that something changed in this one thief that it didn't change in the other person. What changed? Why did he change? We don't know. The account, we don't know for sure, I should say. The, The Gospels don't give us this explicit reason. I think we can make some inferences from it. But I would say this this idea of remembering our guilt, we have to understand that. We are not righteous people. You know, and that's what the thief understood here. Some people see the doctrine of justification as God making us righteous. And it's actually theologically incorrect because we're not made righteous. We actually declared righteous. there's a difference because there's only one righteous, and that's Jesus Christ. But what he did on the cross, and he taken the penalty of our sins, therefore it made it so that that was an atonement or a covering for our sins that we needed precisely because we were guilty, and we are guilty. And then what happens there in this whole doctrine known as justification is that then we are declared in God's sight as righteous. Not that we are, but that's how God sees us and chooses to see us because of what Jesus has done for us. And so in order for us to fully understand what Jesus has done for us on the cross this day, and if we were standing there 2,000 years ago, if all of us right now were standing around the cross, we would have to understand, first of all, That Jesus is innocent. That's what this man said here. He said, "This man, he has done nothing wrong, and because of that, once we accept that, we would all, every one of us, would instinctively understand that we are not like the one on the cross. We are not the one like the one that's hanging on the cross right now. We are not innocent. We are guilty. So careful thought about the sinless Jesus on the cross." It, it strips us of self-justification. And this is what happened to this thief on the cross. He started out by wanting to protect himself, wanting to justify himself, if you will, but then he changed when he interacted with Jesus. Most likely it was the Spirit of God that used the obvious sin, sinlessness of Jesus Christ to convict the thief of his own sinfulness, probably in the way that Jesus told in verse 34, To he asked God to forgive the people who were crucifying him. It could have been the conversation that the thief overheard Jesus say about taking care of his mother. It could have been a lot of those things. We don't know all the reasons, but God used any one of those or probably all of them to understand that, that for this thief to understand I am a sinful person and this man is not. So today, as we've gathered to reflect and to remember what Jesus did on the cross, we've got to remember our guilt. Now, there's two, at least two possible reactions to remembering our guilt. The first would be crushing despair. This is what happened to Judas. When Jesus fully embraced and fully understood the fact that he was guilty, he went out and hung himself. That is not what we are to do. We are not to be crushed by our guilt because Jesus, the Father says, it says it pleased the Father to bruise him or to crush him. See, the, our guilt shouldn't crush us because that's why Jesus hung on the cross so it wouldn't crush us anymore. So instead of crushing despair, it really should enable gratefulness, and that's what I'm hoping that happens tonight as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, as we sing songs together. I hope our minds, we remember our guilt before the Father, remember our sin that Jesus was bearing on the cross. I hope that we get that in focus, and I hope we remember that, but I hope that doesn't crush any of us. I hope what it does is it actually enables gratefulness and worship, because that's the point of today. Sunday's coming. Jesus is going to be in the ground, in the grave. He's going to be there. But in three days, he's going to rise again, conquering sin and death. And that will be a day to celebrate, which we'll talk about on Sunday but we also need to remember not only our guilt but we also need by looking at the thief on the cross there's something else we need to remember and that is God's power to change people I told you before that something happened with this thief we don't understand all what went on internally but something changed in him where he went from mocking Jesus to then defending Jesus and to rebuking him and to publicly admitting his guilt as he hung there in defense of Jesus' sinlessness so what does that mean? The fact that God had power to save a hardened criminal, a murderer, one who uh, uh, was in, in, um, uh, guilty before man, we have an illustration that God can change even the hardest of hearts. And that should mean hope for us because God's work in you, the same work, the same God who worked in this thief's heart, he's working in your heart, he's working in my heart. And the Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter 1 that says that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so the work that God is doing in changing your heart and molding your heart and making you into the follower of Jesus Christ that you need to be, that is continually going and is motivated by the same power that changed this thief's heart on the cross. So that should give us hope. So the sins that we struggle with, the, the down days that we have, the, the, the difficulties that we go through as we fall into sin, as we fall short once again, we, fee, we see that we can go back and rest on the fact that there's a man here who's hanging on the cross and God changed his heart at the last moment. And Jesus died so that we all could die to sin God's plan isn't just to declare us righteous, as we talked about earlier, but his plan is also to slowly change us over time to become more like Jesus until one day in heaven we will no longer struggle with sin. So while we will never reach that ultimate goal in this life, we should be inching closer and closer to that day, knowing that it's the power of God to change hearts that is on full display that day 2,000 years ago. I told you a second ago, I don't know how many people heard this conversation, but it had to be impactful. Church history records, we don't have it in the Bible, but church history records that a a Roman centurion was changed by Jesus' crucifixion. We have an account later on that when he dies, that one of the soldiers says, truly, this was the Son of God, and that's where that legend comes from. But I would also think that if that is indeed true, this conversation with the thief had to have an impact in other people's lives. So it means hope for us that God has the power to change people so that whatever you're struggling with, whatever, wherever you're at on your, your progress in your sanctification journey, God's power is at work in your life. We need to run to that. We need to cling to that. We need to look back to the thief and get hope from that. But it's also hope for those people who you love and who you're praying for. Who are you praying that would turn their heart to Jesus Christ? Who have you been praying for for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more years that their hearts would be changed? Who is that in your life that you say, is there, are their knees ever going to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is it that you can think of right now as I'm speaking that is somebody you know that has heard the gospel many times, and yet they are not believing? Who is that person? Well, whoever that person is, I want you to find hope that in the last moment of their life, God has power to change their heart, just like this thief on the cross. And so as we remember 2,000 years ago, what happened on the cross, we should actually find great joy and great encouragement and great hope in the fact that God is always at work in people's hearts and we can never say it's too late until that final breath is taken. In a matter of minutes, I mean, watch this, this is the power of God. In a matter of minutes, the thief went from prideful mocking to humble acceptance of Jesus' Messiahship. Just a matter of minutes. It's because of the power of God. And that's what's on display on the cross. But there's one other thing I want us to remember tonight, that is Jesus', and this is the most obvious, his power to forgive. The thief, he simply asked to be remembered when Jesus came into his kingdom. And you'll remember, for those of you who study the Bible, you understand that there was some misunderstanding a little bit about what Jesus was going to do. A lot of people thought that Jesus was going to come and he was going to set up an earthly kingdom. This is what the disciples thought. And so the, the fact that he was dying was a little bit confusing to these people because they thought that Jesus hadn't yet set up his kingdom. And so how is it that he could die? And so the, the, they, were, they were wondering how this was going to work out. But so this thief here, he, he shows great faith here when he says, when you come into your kingdom, I know you're dying right now. But you're going to come into your kingdom. I don't know how it all is all going to work out, but it's going to happen. And just remember me when that happens. Isn't is a very bold request, one full of faith. But Jesus gave him so much more than what he was hoping for. Jesus, you will notice if we would read uh, all the accounts together when people were mocking him. We saw this in verse 39. The first thief said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Jesus doesn't respond to that one. Jesus is silent to the mocker. But to the humble, he gives hope. To the one who is mocking, Jesus doesn't even respond. But to the one who defends Jesus and who expresses his faith and fellowship in him, says, I'm going to give you hope. Jesus said that the thief would join Jesus in heaven that very day. This was so much more than what the thief was hoping for. And this is what I want us to remember tonight. I want us to remember that whatever Jesus is accomplished on the cross, it's far greater, it's far greater than what we can hope or imagine. There's a scripture I want to share with you. I'll put it on the screen, Ephesians chapter two, 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It, what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross has so much far greater significance than what we can actually get our minds around I believe that for eternity, we're going to be unpacking the significance of what Jesus did on the cross. But for right now, for right now, we can be like this thief and we can just understand that a simple expression of faith in following Christ, a simple act of humility before him and acknowledging our sinfulness and his sinlessness will give us eternal life. And so I don't know everyone's, where everyone is at in their spiritual journey, but I do know this, we all have the same hope and we all need to remember the same things this evening. We need to remember that Jesus has power to forgive your sins. It's it's never too late. But I wouldn't put it off. Because the Bible teaches us that we don't know how long we're here. This man knew the day of his death. This man knew that he was going to die that day. The rest of us, as of right now, we don't know that. We don't know the day of our death, and so I would just encourage you, don't put it off. Don't put off the idea of following Jesus Christ because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't think you have the rest of your life. Follow Christ today. What greater day than on Good Friday when he died for your sins? In my studies for this, and I'll close with this, I came across a quote that was attributed to Copernicus. It said that his last words were this, I do not ask for the grace that you gave St. Paul, nor can I dare to ask for the grace that you granted to St. Peter, but the mercy which you did show to the dying robber, that mercy showed to me. That's all we need. We need God's mercy, and that's what he did on the cross. And so tonight, as we've gathered together tonight, I just want to challenge us to remember, I want to challenge us to remember that we are guilty before God. You have to acknowledge that. You have to believe that. Acknowledge and remember the fact that God has power to change your hearts. Ask God to change your hearts. And then we need to acknowledge and we need to remember that he does forgive sins. And so if you have not asked Christ to forgive your sins... May today be the day where you do respond to God and ask God to to forgive you of your sins. We have the Lord's Supper here prepared for us. This is the time where we know that Jesus, earlier before this account here, was happening in Luke chapter 23. We know that in chapter 22 of Luke, this is when he instituted what's known as the Lord's Supper. They were celebrating Passover, they were meeting together, and so they had put all things together to to celebrate this. I I think that there's a lot to be said when we look in verse 14 of chapter 22 when Jesus says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. He knew that this was going to be significant because he was going to institute what is known as the Lord's Supper. And so tonight, let me just remind you what this is about. This is about... um, a, a, a commemoration of the death of Christ. It's, it's about believers identifying with the body of Christ in their fellowship of Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity for us to uh, publicly express and proclaim to all present that we desire to follow Jesus Christ. Now, this, is, this is not a, a, a proclamation of perfection. This is not a time for uh, us to, when we eat this and drink this together, it's not us saying that we are worthy of this, but what it is saying is that we believe in Jesus Christ, and we believe that we needed his death and his burial, his resurrection, and the fact that we're doing this is is a sign that we're waiting until he comes back and sets all things right. First Corinthians, Paul, when he was writing this, he says, you do this until he comes back. This is why 2,000 years later, we're still doing this. Because it says, do this until he returns. And so implicitly, as we eat together and we drink together tonight, we are, we're also saying we want Jesus to return. We're waiting for his to return. But explicitly what we're saying is that we need the grace and mercy that's symbolized at this table. We're, we're basically aligning ourselves with the thief on the cross, We're basically saying, I'm guilty, I need this. And the one who provided this is sinless. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to invite you to take just a minute and have silent prayer, meditate a little bit on what Christ has done for you, ask God to uh, help you remember the significance of this day, and then what we'll do is we'll sing uh, the musicians will come up uh, at the end of our silent prayer, I'll pray to signify when that's done, and then um, uh, as the musicians are, uh, are leading us and singing, we just come up to the table, get the, 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 the juice and the, the bread, make your way back to your seat, and we 'll eat and drink together, um, and we'll worship the Lord. So let's take a few minutes, go to the Lord silently in prayer, silently in prayer, and then we'll worship around the table. Take a minute and pray to the Lord. Father, we're grateful that we can pause and remember tonight. And there's so many facets to how we should remember. But I think by looking at the thief on the cross, the idea of our guilt, the idea of your power to change hearts, and your ability to forgive, I think those three things... Are worthy of reflection. Father, I acknowledge my guilt before you. I don't think I've fully wrestled with the significance of that and how that really does warrant my eternal separation from you. I want to say that I get that, but I I confess, Father, that I think that there's still too much self-justification in me, that I would protest, and I'm sorry for that, because what that means is that I I don't fully understand the depths of sin and how terrible it is against a perfect and holy God. And so I pray that as I mature my Christian walk, that I would get a better sense of that, And pray the same for my friends here. Father, I'm grateful that you are a God who changes hearts. You you didn't have to change my heart. You didn't have to change my friends' hearts here tonight. You could have just left us as we were enemies of the cross. But you changed our hearts just like you changed the thief on the cross's heart. So thank you. I, I worship you because of that. And you've forgiven sin, that's what this what is you hung on the cross that's why you were there when the when the father turned his back on you, Jesus, because you were bearing the sins of many my sins. Father, thank you, and Jesus thank you, and I pray that as we remember through how the means which you've told us to by having this supper this meal together, I pray that it would have deep impact and significance to us tonight. Lord, we love you. We could never repay you for what you've done for us, but we're grateful that that wasn't the point. You don't want us to even try to repay you. You want us to follow you and worship you and trust you because you do want what's best for us. So help us to do that tonight and for the rest of our lives. In Christ's name we do pray, amen.